His name's Bodai. I think he heard you. Of course he heard me. He hears everything. Even when I'm not talking, he hears me. Here. He likes to be held. He does. <laughs> I can feel it likes to be held. Hey, Bodhi. His name is Bodai. Jason, can we keep him? I mean, look. I fixed your bed and everything. It'll be fine. Welcome back. <laughs> it's it's been a long road. November's at an end. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is the last episode of the Turkey Run for the Not a Bomb podcast. Heck, after tonight, it may be the last episode of the podcast because this this one was a tough one to get through. Um, but I'm I'm getting way ahead of myself. Uh, my name is Troy. Happy to be here, and with me always is my bestest buddy Brad. Brad, it's uh, November 29th. We record on Sundays. We had an extra Sunday, which meant we squeezed one more turkey in, and it was your pick. Uh, and boy, you- is this a banger, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you feel you feel pretty good about yourself, I bet. Yep. I, too, am a creature of filth, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, what are, what are we talking about tonight? We are talking about the 1986 science fiction film brought to us by Brooks Films and released by MGM Solar Babies or Solar Fighters or Solar Warriors depending on where you live in the world. Yeah. We we are going to talk about that. We sure are. <laughs> um yeah. And uh you know it, we had to have our good friend um John Nance back. John, how are you this evening? Doing great, doing great. <laughs> John has way more energy. I'm, I'm just telling you guys, it's, it's been a long month. Um, I did not just watch the films that we picked for this month, but you know, I decided to throw in a lot of bad films into the diet as well. And I got to tell you, I don't recommend anybody doing that. Um, <laughs> you, you need some quality in between your junk food, and and uh, it. It, it's been a fun ride. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm glad we we chose turkeys this month, but holy cow, am I ready to uh, get into December? But I thought, um, you know, we're recording November. By the time we release this, it, it might be December 1st, December 2nd. And um, everybody's already starting to put out their their Christmas season podcasts, right? Uh, and and I, I know Alex, as an example, will be um, talking with Angel this week about Nightmare Before Christmas. And I thought, hey, to, to kind of end Turkey Month and transition into December, maybe we could use all of this knowledge that the three of us have and, and do something good for, for the general population and talk about, you know, before we talk about solar babies, maybe help everybody out and say, here are the worst Christmas movies out there. And they're not so bad, they're good, they're just bad. And maybe, maybe we can avoid... Um, 
I don't know, some some bad Christmas vibes by recommending to stay away from a few films. What do you guys think about that? I got oh, one yeah. lined up. We Hey, Brad, this is your week, man. So let's start with you. Um, what is the one Christmas movie you highly recommend to not see um, this holiday season? You know what's really awesome for kids to enjoy um, for the Christmas season is a drunken Dudley Moore. So I went with the 1985 film Santa Claus the movie, which oh. um, holds the distinction distinguished uh, score on Rotten Tomatoes at a solid 20, and it costs somewhere between 30 and 50 million dollars, and it made roughly about 23. So it's a huge bomb critically and um, financially. So. Uh, yeah, that is 1985's Santa Claus, the movie. Uh, was that the one with John Lithgow, too? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> I've seen. So, my family used to travel to my grandparents' house um, for Christmas, and my grandparents didn't have what you would call a lot of technology. Uh, they did have a TV, but it was like a dial one. So, I remember seeing. Santa Claus, the movie, it was on like TNT or something like that every Christmas Eve. And I watched it and it just pains me to think that that was my Christmas Eve every year. So, um, yeah, Dudley Moore sucks. So <laughs> Lesson learned, man. I totally, absolutely. I don't know if it's just pushing back a memory and just saying that was such a bad time sitting through that film that I totally forgot that it even existed, but I, I totally forgot that it existed until you mentioned it. So yes, definitely stay away from that one. It is, it is a total bomb. It's a Turkey, but not the good Turkey. It's the bad turkeys. John, um, I know you're a movie connoisseur and a connoisseur of bad films too, but if you had to pick a, a season film, uh, to celebrate the holidays, which one would you stay far away from? Stay far away from Santa with muscles. Okay, John, 19- we're not talking about porn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pornography is off the board. <laughs> yeah, no porn. No, seriously, Hulk Hogan, 1996. He he plays this like if I remember right. This this is how I didn't even watch. I didn't even finish watching it. It was that bad. Um, Hulk Hogan, he has like amnesia or something, and then somehow I think he's Santa Claus. So it was. Yeah, it okay. was bad. I just Googled it. So if pornography comes on while I'm doing this podcast, it is your fault. <laughs> I don't want to see what your browser is showing right now. Okay. It, it, it is a real film then. Yes, it is Hulk a real Hogan. film. Okay. Yes. Uh, well, just, yeah, I don't even think it broke 100,000 or something. like it, it, would, it did so bad. Two weeks, it was gone. It's Blake Thorne is a conceited, self-made millionaire who sells bodybuilding supplements and equipment. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because hmm. kids, kids want to. Yeah, kids want to. I don't know. Hear about the the bodybuilding supplements for the holiday. Uh, 220k. It's total box office. Two, oh my god! Wow. So that played. In what a couple theaters? And that was it. And it's gone. Thankfully, okay. Jordan <laughs> Jordan Belfour uh, co-produced that movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I never God. thought we'd have a Wolf of Wall Street reference on this podcast, 
for solar babies, but we did it. Guys, we did it. Wow. We're done. We, we could just stop home. right now. Wow. <laughs> Happy holidays. Wow. Yep. We're done. John, you certainly <laughs> delivered a Christmas present early. Um, man, I don't know if I can, those are two amazing picks. Um, one I totally forgot about and the other one I didn't even know existed. So mine just is nowhere near that. But I I went with a movie that I saw in the theaters. I was the one, um, among many people who contributed the $46 million box office. This had a budget of 51 million. And let me justify why I went because look, anytime you put Danny DeVito in something, I instantly am going to go. And so Danny DeVito and Ferris Bueller himself came together in 2006 for a holiday film called Deck the Halls. Um, Had a $51 million budget, almost made that budget back uh, during his theatrical run. I'm sure after video sales and everything else, it it probably was a profit. But Matthew Broderick. Yeah, it's. It is a <laughs> it is a dumb film. I mean, it's all about Danny DeVito wanting to put his bunch of Christmas lights on his house so that you could see it from space. And Matthew Broderick gets upset because he lives next door and he's supposed to be the expert on Christmas. But now because Danny DeVito put lights on his house, everybody considers him the expert in shenanigans. It's just such a boring film. And man, I'm telling you, it it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. And, and it wastes two really good actors, which I think is a huge travesty. Hulk Hogan, he can make a crappy film, right? He wrestling, understand, right? Dudley Moore, John He loves his sushi, too. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Too much pork. Oh, God. But I I don't... Have you guys seen that film? Yes. It's terrible. Yes. It's terrible. Yes. Yeah. So that's our... And the bar... So in the bar for Christmas movies is not that high. Like, you just kind of want to feel pretty good about Christmas. Like, pretty... Like... Yeah, I don't. The bar isn't that high. I, I gotta like, ask, we, do you guys like Christmas Story? Is not like a great movie, but it just is like, eh, it's good. It's serviceable. It is. Yeah. But I mean, do you catch any of these Hallmark Christmas? They're, they've got like a hundred and some odd Christmas movies on now. But, but you know, do you guys? Nah, even they're all the same. Now nah, they're all the same though. It's just... I walk. I walk in my uh, bedroom. And the TV on in our bedroom is on Hallmark twenty four seven right now. So oh gosh, I, I so I see so many people who talk about trying to watch all of them or watch one per day, and I feel like it's that same mentality of like the bros who go out to bars and are like, how many shots can I do before I pass out? Because it's all about like some I I can tolerate this much pain or something of that. How many Canis Cameron beret movies can I see before I pass out? Yeah. And I, I, I'm the same way. I think I've caught a couple walking into a room and watching the family, you know, uh, catching a couple, but I, I don't know what the attraction is to all of these outside. And we have a lot of masochists, um, in the world. That's the only thing I can, I can wrap my head around, like justify why it is. And, and oh God, anyways, Hey, we did our public service. So that's our transition into the holiday season. But before we totally let Thanksgiving go, we're going to talk about um, Brad's pick, which is 1986 Solar Babies. It's such an unusual film in terms of its background. So I want to start there, Brad. This one has a pretty crazy history in terms of its budget, correct? Yeah. Um, Like I said earlier, so this is a Brooks Films um, production uh, Mel Brooks, that is. Um, so initially, this film's budget was around $5 million. It suddenly ballooned to five times that at $25 million. Um, a lot of that money 
Brooks put up himself. Um, and there's a good interview, I think, on was it Entertainment Weekly or something like that, talking about you know how this film almost bankrupted him. Um, yeah, he put it. He, I mean, he put everything. Mortgage his house. Yeah, and yeah. He signed it over um, for this film. So initially, Brooks also lost somewhere between like eight and nine million dollars on this movie. Um, he says through a miracle uh, called VHS and DVD sales, he's actually broken even on this movie. So he did not lose any money on this film. Over but time. it took some time getting there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I don't know about you, Troy, but floating nine million dollars for a few years sounds like it probably hurts. I wish I was Brooks, in a position I could float nine million dollars. Yeah. Um, like Mel Brooks that. is one of I don't know, like one of the most important people in cinema history, and to feel like this movie almost took him down is kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, for those who don't know Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks is known for his comedies, so. I, I don't know if you have a favorite Mel Brooks film. I always gravitate to something like Young Frankenstein. To me, that that is my favorite. Of That's his. his best one. But for me, it's Spaceballs because I've seen it a hundred times. Um, and every time they do that damn stunt double part, <laughs> it gets me every time. It's, that is one of the funniest scenes in movies. I swear. Because one of the ladies has a mustache. It's just the best. Um, well, let me, let, me, let me digress for a second. So my favorite story about Spaceballs comes from my wife's sister. So we were talking about Star Wars and Spaceballs, and she had seen Spaceballs first before she saw any of the Star Wars films. So when she got around to finally watching Star Wars, she didn't like it because it was an unfunny Spaceballs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay J- john do you have a favorite mel brooks um in-, in terms of the ones he directed or wrote or uh geez um blazing saddles history of the world part one young frankenstein um he- he's a genius i loved all his works the producers oh my gosh the producers even stuff uh, that he did but... like life stinks i think is is pretty good yeah. later in his career yeah. um but brooks films so if, if you know anything about somebody like mel brooks Uh, And I think this advice came from Billy Wilder. So Mel Brooks wanted to do other films outside of comedies, et cetera. And Billy Wilder, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't raise any money for anything that he wanted to do that would be more dramatic or in any other genre. And Billy Wilder basically said, Hey, start a production company and pick the films that you want to do. And that way you can kind of direct from afar and get the projects off the ground that you want to do. So one of the most famous ones that Brooks films put out was the elephant man. So that's an example of him getting a hold of a dramatic work and Uh, him wanting to work on it, but knowing that if it was, you know, Elephant Man directed by Mel Brooks, everybody would just automatically think it's a comedy um, and it it wouldn't market well. So Brooks Films is sort of something that... You went with the Elephant Man and not the Fly? Well, yeah, the flies, the flies, okay. another one. So yeah. he's, he's got, um, I mean, he did, I think he did another one called Fatso with Dom DeLuise. Um, yeah. Fatso. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you go back and look at the Brooks film output, it's really interesting because it's got horror, it's got drama, it's got some other comedies, it's got solar babies, um, <laughs> whatever the hell that <laughs> yeah, is. We'll, yeah, we'll, right. we'll get there here in a minute. Um, but it, it has just this interesting slate of film that obviously he wanted to work on but couldn't do so um, behind the camera or being directly attached to it. So hence, you create a production company for it. But Brad, so this started at $5 million, ballooned to $25 million. How much money did it make? 
so opening weekend, which is um, at the end of November of 1986, it makes seven thousand four hundred thousand um, dollars. Opening weekend. On its way- opening weekend. Yes. Okay. Runs into a total of one point six million total gross for its theatrical uh, run. For a little, little less than twenty-five million dollars, um, I don't. I mean, I I'm not an investment guy, but I don't think you invest twenty-five million to make one point six. But you know, whatever. Um, yeah. So there is. Um, I did see that someone bought the rights from him. Uh, not the rights. They came to dis- the distribution company for like fourteen million. So you know, not all this is on Brooks, but a lot of it is. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, do you want to know uh, what films came out around the same time? I was just trying to figure this out. So you're talking '86. Um, you have a si- November. Yeah, science fiction post-apocalyptic film. That genre has been around for a little bit. I mean, the Italians were copying it in the early '80s. Uh, Mad Max has been around. So it. Yeah, someone saw Mad Max when they uh, put this movie together. Yeah. So th- this oh, isn't yeah. from a. <laughs> I guess from an investment standpoint. If you were going to a group of movie investors and saying, hey, we have this genre, it's still pretty popular in the mid 80s. And we're going to do a sci-fi action film and maybe even make it a little bit family friendly. Uh, that That's not out of question. But I'm curious what this was going up against at time of release. So one of the biggest sports movies of all time comes out uh, in November of 86. And that is Hoosiers, probably the quintessential basketball movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's overrated. It's okay. Uh, yeah. seen it. Literally, yeah. if you play basketball and you ever travel on a bus that has a DVD player, you're watching Hoosiers. It's not um, overrated. So, it has an amazing performance from Dennis Hopper and Gene Hackman. Yeah, Dennis Hopper is... Yeah, I, okay. Okay. I will. The performances are pretty good. Yes. Um, the, Ra- the Wraith with uh, Charlie Sheen. Oh, yeah. Okay, Charlie that Sheen. makes total sense, and we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Um, simply uh, because of some of the production design and outfits. Okay. An American Tale. Fievel. Fievel, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> King King Kong Lives. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Um, and this is an important one because it comes out on the same day. Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Oh. Well, there goes your whole sci-fi audience. Yes. So, yep. again, you're going up against the fourth Star Trek movie, uh, which is basically... If you're going to see a science fiction film, you know, on that weekend, you're not going to see some weird movie called Solar Babies. You're going to see Star Trek. So, and I believe, I'm not, I'm not very familiar on which ones are which, but I think Voyage Home is actually pretty good. Yeah, that's the one where yeah. they go get the whale, right? Yeah. Okay, that's the whale one. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, what else you want to know, Troy? Oh, this movie is the first movie we have reviewed on this podcast that sits at a zero percent on rotten tomatoes with <laughs> the critics um, is that because nobody reviewed it there are nine it doesn't have enough to get an official rating but it does have it's over nine so okay um leonard malton called it an appalling stinker appalling yeah um cisco and ebert on their syndicated tv show Cisco called it trash. Just called it trash. Uh, so yeah. Um, also, this film for 1986 total gross domestic comes in 155th place 
out of all movies released in 1986. 155th. It is beaten by Rad. Oh maximum, my god. Maximum Overdrive. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Why oh my god, Rad, John? R- Rad is awesome. Rad and is it just awesome. got a 4K, 4K release and is actually pretty awesome. Name another no. film that, that does like a prom it, dance sequence on BMX bikes. No, it, it wasn't in disgust. It was a movie that happens to be my wife's one of my wife's favorite movies. She has an awesome. amazing taste. Rad, because yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, um, Streets of Gold, Shanghai Surprise, and Troll all beat out troll. Solar Babies. Oh, troll. Uh, so the first Troll, not Troll. Not two. Troll Two. No. Yeah. Holy Warwick cow. Davis. Yeah. So is that a hundred? Mm-hmm. So it's hundred and fifty fifth out of what? One hundred and fifty six movies. No, there's like 200. Oh, but okay. It's, but there's some really, yeah. I mean, you got to remember in the 80s, they were putting out a lot of stuff that no one saw too. So um, um, be I, nice, Troy. I got to, well, 0% I still think is too high for this thing. <laughs> but <laughs> I, may, may, I, may I, may I, go. may I please read a review yes. from Amazon? Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I, will try, I will try okay right. and, uh, and this and is full disclosure the amazon like the amazon reviews for some of these films that we talk about are so much better than what the critics can put together so i i would tend to go off of those reviews sometimes in the cisco and ebert but go ahead okay there's two of them the first one is okay the second one is this movie is and has always been a favorite of mine it shows it show i will just read it as is okay. It showed genius and imagination without being too far out there. <laughs> and I would recommend this movie for both children and adults. Not too far out there. A dystopian world where water is basically gone is not this person. Hmm. And that was back in 2008. So, you know, maybe we were, I don't know. 2008 was financial crisis. Maybe we thought the, all the water is going, going away and we're going to be yeah. roller skating in the desert. <laughs> this is, this is the one. Okay. December 23rd, 2013, two days before Christmas, this guy's like, I'm going on Amazon. I'm writing a review for Solar Babies. Are you ready for this first sentence? Okay. As a 75-year-old man purchasing this DVD because I saw just a quick view and it caught my attention. So I purchased this and found it had a good story, smart young people, and good production. Take a chance on this one anyway, and you can give it to a kid if you don't like it. No, please don't. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't like it, pass it off to some kid. Yeah. Um. Wow, that guy's mad. What is really what good. is what is a seventy five year old man doing? <laughs> well, I got oh, I got to ask you guys. Did uh, were you one of the ones that like threw this thing some change in eighty six uh, in the theaters? Um. Did Did you see this in the theaters? Uh, I would have been three years old, Troy. So that's a no. Um, yeah. John. But. I will say, and this is one of the reasons why I picked this. Like I said last week, um, we had a neighborhood woman who watched um, some of us um, during the day while our parents were at work. So she had, I don't know, maybe four or five of us. This was one of the movies that we watched quite a bit. um, And it took me so long growing up to figure out what this movie was. Because the name Solar Babies is dumb and it was it would be a name that you would ever remember um so it wasn't till around you know 2000 when the internet's actually good where i'm like oh wait you know skateball uh <laughs> droughts uh pseudo nazis and then you know 
Google's like, oh, you mean solar babies? And you're like, I guess. Yeah, that's and it. Then, and then a Blu-ray comes out, you know, 15 years later, and my dumbass buys it. So <laughs> No, no. Your dumbass buys two copies. Two. I, yeah, because I bought one, and then I didn't remember that I had it. It was on sale one day, so I bought it again, and I'm like, oh, wait. I already have it. Wow. And that's, that's happened to us all. We've all done that. No, 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 I agree. And, and yeah. so what's nice about your investment is you could sell one of those for a pretty good. Yeah. They go for like a hundred bucks now. Yeah. Um, Someone is buying this movie for a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Please write in and tell us why. Um, John, did, did you see this in the theaters? No, no, it was Star Trek four. Uh, yeah, I, I could, I do that. So that, that is, such an interesting and fascinating how this film got developed. Um, I, I would I would watch any day a documentary about the behind the scenes of this film because if you read that Entertainment Weekly article, um, even there's a couple of podcasts out there that tackle this one. Mel Brooks does interviews about it now. For the longest time, he never talked about it. But the story about how this thing came to be is is pretty fascinating. What I also find fascinating is the people that were behind the camera in front of the camera making this thing. So the director is Alan Johnson. Now that name probably means nothing. Um, he's a three-time Emmy award-winning American choreographer. So not known necessarily for directing, um, but he's best known for his work with Mel Brooks and specifically in films like The Producer, History of the World, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, Dracula Dead and Loving It. So a lot of the dance sequences and stuff that Mel Brooks will put in his film. Because that's one of the things Mel Brooks... I still think he's always trying to infuse old Hollywood and especially musical tendencies within his films and his comedies. And so anytime he does that, Alan Johnson comes in and does the choreography. And he's also known for um, sort of recreating the original choreography for West Side Story on Broadway. He's only done two films. Um, One of those was to be or not to be in 1983... With Mel Brooks. Which starred Mel Brooks. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 so that starred Mel Brooks, but was not directed by Mel Brooks. Uh, it's actually, you know, good film. And Solar Babies in 1986. Those are the only two films that he's done. All of his other credits usually fall into the realm of choreography. Uh, so do we think the direction of this movie is terrible? The performances we'll get into, but it doesn't... I don't know. For a guy who only directed two films, I don't think it's terrible. I don't know. I don't... I don't think it's terrible. I just think it's incredibly vanilla, very bland. There, There's nothing interesting about the composition of shots within the film. Yeah, yeah. The shots are very amateurish, of, of course, but I don't I don't know. Nothing stood out to me as being bad. No. no. I, I, nothing stood out to be like, wow, yeah, or anything like that. It's very competent. Okay. But what I find interesting is that for um, some action sequences, you would think a choreographer – would have been able to put together better action choreography um, just with some type of experience in terms of planning out all of the dance choreography. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. The production company already talked about was Brooks Films and Metro Golden Mayor, um, or MGM. The screenplay, this blew me away. So this screenplay is credited to two people. The first one is D.A. Metroth. Have no idea who this guy is. You start looking at the stuff on IMDb, nothing really rings to mind. The second one, and I don't know if it's Waylon Green or Wallen Green. This... I always said Wallen. Wallen. I... Okay, this is what blew me away. So one of my favorite films, top 10 films of all time, this the guy... The Wild Bunch. 
did the screenplay for the wild the bunch. wild yeah bunch. the <laughs> oscar God. nominated screenplay the the movie oh. that pretty much is responsible for modern action films i feel today especially you know directors like john woo were inspired by the wild bunch but it came out in 1969 and this guy wrote the screenplay to it he also did um screenplays for william freakin he did sorcerer in 1977 which is a remake of wages of fear he did The Brinks Job in 1978, year after that, which is another freaking film. He's also done RoboCop 2 with Frank Miller, uh-huh. 1990, and Eraser, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film from 1996. Now, he's done a bunch of other screenplays, but those are the ones that popped out, and The Wild Bunch is the one I cannot get my head around. Wow. This guy wrote The Wild Bunch. And if you haven't seen The Wild Bunch, just stop listening right now and go watch The Wild Bunch. <laughs> it will never make this podcast unless we change the title to most epic, awesome movies ever made. But since it's not Dude, a bomb. Dude, he also wrote like a ton of NYPD Blue as well. Yeah, which actually is a pretty good TV show. Yeah. Um, the only other person to talk about behind the scenes is the skate instructor Alberto Sanz. <laughs> This is his only skate instructor credit um, for this film. Outside of that, I don't know what he did. I feel like Alberto Sanz. Skating sucks in this movie. Yeah. Skating sucks. Uh, People can't skate. No. I think he went to Alan Johnson and said, watch me roller skate. I have all this experience. And um, maybe they didn't have you know the, uh, the facilities or the resources to check out this guy's credentials. But IMDb now, it's the only skate credit he has, and rightly so. So that, Poor Jason Patrick just never could figure out those skates. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh yeah. Well, now now we're getting into the cast, right? So Solar Babies. We start with Jamie Gertz, who plays Tara. Real quick, John, favorite Jamie Gertz film. Uh ironically, it's the movie that came out the year after this one, Lost Boys. God. Brad, do you have one? The Lost Boys. Oh, uh, see, I'm gonna I'm gonna yes. buck the trend and say Crossroads in nineteen eighty six with Ralph Macchio. Only because I, I love um, Ralph blues Machio. and and it's uh, Ry Cooter did the soundtrack for that. I love that film. Um, but yeah, so you guys talk about the Lost Boys that came out the year after this. She she was also in Less Than Zero that same year, nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, don't want to be that sad. Yeah, and um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever saw this. This is the other film that when Jamie Gertz's name pops up, it's Renegades with Lou Diamond Phillips and Oh um, yeah Sutherland. Yeah. She's in that. And I remember remember seeing that in the theater as well. She's also on a great episode of Seinfeld. I believe it's The Stall, I want to say. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you're, yeah, oh my you're God. right. Spare the, spare the Square. <laughs> yes. Spare the Square. Um, so, yeah, she's she's you know, a talented actress. Been in some pretty impressive films, especially in, in the you know late 80s. Now, you, you guys just mentioned the name Jason Patrick. He plays Jason in the film. Um, he was with... Uh, Jamie Gertz in 1987's Lost Boys. Do you have any other, um, I don't know, Jason Patrick favorites out there? I've got one specifically that comes to mind when I think of this actor. Actually, two. And they're kind of in the same vein. Yeah, Speed 2. No. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't care what you say. I kind of I, I, I kind of like Speed 2, but you can hate me. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah for me, it was a bit of a rough watch, but I thought... Um, sleepers i i thought was a, a really great movie oh yeah 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 yeah. oh he's okay. so good in that yeah you got one brad while you're thinking no. i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna say two of them the two films that always make me think of jason patrick are rush in 1991 where he's an undercover narcotics with um jennifer jason lee 
Oh, that's right. And Narc from 2002. Ooh, that's got... Uh, uh, Is it Ray Liotta? Ray Liotta, yeah. Yeah, that movie's amazing. So they're they're both in the same vein in terms of dealing with narcotics, undercover agents, etc. But if you have not seen Rush from 91 or Narc in 2002, you have to check those out. If you want to see Jason Patrick and his A, his a game, it's fantastic. He should have had a better career. I believe he so. He should have. Really do. Um, Lucas Haas as Daniel. James LaGrosse as Metron. Now, there's only one film I know this guy from. It was bugging me uh, when I was watching this. So, uh, you guys familiar with Phantasm 2? Yes. Okay. He When Phantasm was kind of bought up by Universal, they replaced the original star that was playing the character Mike with James LaGrosse, and he played Mike in Phantasm 2. Then when it kind of went back to three, like kind of a back of the back to the future situation. Yeah, and then when they went to three, four, five, <laughs> the rest of them, they brought big. the original Mike back. But for one movie, Phantasm Two, they changed the character or the actor of Mike, and and that's James LaGrosse. That's that's about as soon as oh, I see wow. his face, I always think of Phantasm Two. We've got Claude Brooks as Rabbit, um, Peter DeLuise as Tug. I mean, come on, guys, what what do you think of Peter DeLuise from Twenty One Jump Street? Yes. 1987 oh, yeah. to 1991. And no, his, that, was before, that was before my time. Sorry, guys. And his cameo in the 21 Jump Street movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did have that. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then we have Adrian Pazdar as Darstar. Now, Brad, you and I were talking about this before the show. I, I think we all thought his name was Darkstar. Darkstar. Yeah. Why would it not be Darkstar? There's no K in there, man. It's Darstar, but for the remainder <laughs> of the podcast, he will be referred to as Mystic John Stamos. Mystic um, <laughs> Charles. Yeah, he is kind of. He's a Mystic yeah, John, John St- Stamos. He's in it, he's got that jean jacket thing that has like an emblem on the back that looks yeah. like uh, something from a Journey album. So he's Mystic John Stamos. Um, Charles Durning, the warden. Have mercy. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Charles Durning is the warden. Now this is a. Uh, actor who's been in so many different things he's a great character actor um sarah douglas this surprised me she shows up towards the end of the film as chandre i think is her name and the first thing that pops into mind is superman 2 superman 2 ursa uh, one of the three villains and then richard jordan is our main heavy as grok um as adolf hitler (laughs) adolf hitler wannabe minus the mustache there were three films, and I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, I actually think Richard Jordan's a good actor, but I don't know if you've seen 1976's Logan's Run. He's in that one. Yes. Um, the 1984 version of Dune, and then 1990's The Hunt for Red October. Yep. This guy liked his dystopian future movies. He did. Um, he's yeah. got a Dune. he's got a pretty uh, lengthy filmography, but again, anytime you see his face, and if you're a kid of the I don't know, early 80s all the way up to 90s. I mean, to me, those are the, the movies that stick out. Yeah. Um, okay, Troy, I, I I have something written down in my notes to help me figure out who these characters are to make sure I didn't get them mixed up. Okay. Okay. So you have Jason. One word. I have leader. Yes. He's now Tara. Solar baby, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> these are all the solar babies. Yeah. Tara. Your requisite girl character. Yeah. Got okay. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rabbit, your token black guy. Yes. Yep. Metron is your nerd. Right. Because he has the glasses. Tug, whiny, yeah. whiny nerd. Yeah. Good point, John. Tug, the big dumb jock. Yep. Okay. 
And Daniel, the hopeless young character. Well, he's deaf for what, five minutes in the beginning? Yeah. Yes. Okay. But, I mean, literally these are like every stereotype for every character in every movie. So if it, you're going to have a team of people, they check all the boxes. Is, what is Mystic John Stamos? I mean, is he a solar baby? He isn't until the very end. So he becomes Spoiler a solar alert. baby. He does become a solar baby at the end. Okay. Well, I mean, that's just a rundown of the players you have behind the screen, in front of the screen. One quick piece of trivia. So, Brad, you were talking about in the beginning, uh, they went to Spain because that's where they were going to do the filming. This was all shot on location in Spain. They went there with $5 million, and that didn't last very long. And one of the reasons why this ballooned so quickly, and it went from 5 to $10 million, is ironically the production got held up and the reason why it got held up for several weeks a couple of months is due to the amount of rain that was hitting the area where yeah. they were shooting <laughs> so part of the reason for the ballooning budget obviously for you know special effects and things that were out of control was for a movie that was talking about a dystopian future where water is a precious commodity they couldn't film solar babies because of all the water that was falling down in spain in this area specifically um so with that i think we've covered didn't they like have to do some stuff out in arizona or something like that maybe possibly i mean i could be wrong this is this is one of those things um where i think on paper going into it they had a a very set budget they had their cast everything was going to go into it with a five million dollar um price tag and event after event started happening with delays and um i i even see stories that the director and the cast had a little bit of a falling out where Mel Brooks had to fly over to Spain and straighten things out. So again, if there was ever a documentary about a film that really highlighted all of the things going into it behind the scenes, that would be dramatic and interesting. I think Solar Babies would make a great documentary, but unfortunately, I think back in 1986, there's probably not a lot of footage or anything running around behind the scenes. Um, Maybe it's out there. I don't think so. (laughs) But with that, I think it's time to kind of talk about this film, and I want to start with our guest, John. John, you and I had the pleasure of getting together on the East Coast and sitting down and watching the German Blu-ray copy, because I wasn't going to pay Brad's $100 price tag for his Blu-ray. Supply demand, Troy. I know. Um, (laughs) So we we watched it together, and I'm I'm curious what what's your initial reaction on Solar Babies? Now, for you, this was not a first time watch, right? No, no. I remember seeing this. Uh, I forget exactly what year, um, but it was on HBO. Came on, watched it, and that actually happened to be the period in my life. Uh, well, for the, for those kids in the '80s, we were actually on roller skates going everywhere. So it was kind of. Oh hey, neat! They're on roller skates. Let's watch it. And did you have flashlights on yours? God, I can't remember. I I do know that um, you know they're they're skating through these desert roads as if nothing was a problem. Uh, real life says the minute you hit a pebble, you're taking a face plant. Yeah, you're you're breaking your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's different in the apocalypse, dude. All the pebbles are gone. I, I, it was rough. It was one of those things. My brother, of all things, I, I was telling him what you know we were talking about tonight, and I reminded him that used to be his one of his favorite movies, and he, he didn't remember the movie when I described the movie. He was, he just said, "No, it wasn't." 
I never saw that. Like, <laughs> now he's denial. Yeah. Well, so that you revisited what? Yeah. What was your initial reaction after you know sitting down and and spending an hour and a half of your life um, watching Solar Babies, ninety four minutes to be exact? So, Brad, by default, it's a good movie. It, Thumbs up. Yep. Yeah. Um, default. I, I thought you know, wow, uh, it could have been so much better. Um, being older and more gold in in cinema I, I see a lot of faults in it now but when i thought back to when i was watching it on hbo um i thought it was uh back then a, a pretty neat movie yeah the after after sitting there with you and i and where i just like oh my gosh it's so bad i can't even laugh at some parts i was laughing at you more than i was at the movie <laughs> <laughs> i had a very physical reaction to this film uh, but before I go, Brad, I, this is your pick. I'm just curious why why this one. I mean, you talked about it being one of your favorites, and and I wouldn't say one of my favorites growing up. Let's not put it that way. I just saw it a lot, remembered seeing it, um, and remembered really kind of enjoying it as a kid. For a time, um, it was your holy grail. You were looking for it, right? Yeah, it was just one of those movies that like I I had to find out what this damn movie was called. Um, I don't know if that's a thing now because it's so easy to find stuff. Um, but you know, especially when you're younger, you see a movie and you can only pick out this part and this part and this part, and then you have to like, kind of put it together and figure out this mysterious, uh, film that you saw 15, 16 years ago. So it, it really was more of a, or of like a, like a happy discovery that one day I figured out what this movie was, but Troy, I, 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 I I pulled up the opening monologue. I, I want you to help me with this real quick, okay? Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> so, we live in the new time, the new time. Right. The year is 41, and the Protectorate controls all water on Earth, and therefore all life. I am the Warden of Orphanage 43. I'm getting to the part. Hold on. Yep. One of the many orphanages that border the wasteland. Okay. Children are brought here at an early age to be indoctrinated, indoctrinated to serve the system. My first question is what the hell is the system? Cause in the opening monologue, it is capitalized as a pronoun. So it should be something that is in the movie, right? The system. Yes. So let, let me, now I've seen this movie a few times. I don't believe the words, the system is mentioned. Did I miss it? I, I, well, so this is my first time watch. You have to excuse me. I mean, you and John are, are well-versed in this Solar Babies universe. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if now that you've had two copies of the Blu-ray, if you play them you know, both at the same time and you dissect it. But um, my experience with the first 30 minutes of the film, I had no idea what was going on. I mean, kids are playing lacrosse on skates. That comes out. Uh, skateball, please. Yes. Okay. So I find that out because I, first of all, they don't. You don't know it's skateball. It's it's lacrosse on skates, and all of a sudden they start talking about the rules and they're going to follow the rules. And then oh wait, now they're not following the rules, and um, I, I had no idea match. what was going on. It 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 very much felt like a a less exciting version of rollerball. So the James Con film from the seventies. Now, they're skating around. Uh, don't you mean the one from the 2000s? No, 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 not that one. Um, so now they're they're skating around and trying to take this dog toy. It looked like a red dog toy. That It squeaks, too, when you hit it. Okay. And they're trying to put it in the center, um, and they're just skating around. 
Um, but all of a sudden, th- some cops show up. Sorry, e-cops show up. And they're breaking E-pigs. it up because E-pigs. their team's yep. losing, right? So, and I, I don't know if they were, like, they bought the jerseys or the shirts for this team. And that's why they were breaking it up. But anyways. And what was the team they were playing, Troy? What was the name of their team? Because, uh, uh, you know, because every bad team has this name. I don't, it was mullet team. They're the Scorpions. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah, just blonde mullet team. Um <laughs> And so then after the cops break it up, everybody runs away because they got to sneak back to the orphanage. But the one deaf kid uh, finds a glowing ball. And now the deaf kid can hear because the glowing ball healed him um, and is talking uh, to him. He has a name, Troy. Can we please call the glowing ball by its name? Uh, Bodai. 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 Okay. Um, and the the glowing ball likes air. We find that out in the first 30 minutes, apparently. Um, and then all of a sudden mystic John Stamos is with an Eagle watching the whole thing. And then he sneaks back to the orphanage. I believe that's an owl. owl. Yeah. Oh, it was an owl. Okay. Sorry. And, um, but it's not an orphanage. It's kind of like a prison more than an orphanage where everybody skates. Um, and they built this whole culture on roller skating and it, that's the first 30 minutes. And I have no freaking clue what's going on, but then you find out. Not from anybody telling you, but I think I discovered it's called Skateball because I saw it written on a wall. That it is a less aggressive version of lacrosse. And you pass the red thing around, this dog toy around. Um, and I got to tell you, the you know growing up in the 80s, the roller rinks in the 80s on Friday nights was much more dangerous than anything that is going on in, in Skateball. You tell me what this freaking thing is about because if if I were to sit there and just tell anybody, hey, we're going to watch this film, let me tell you what happens the first 30 minutes, not one sane person would go, oh, that sounds interesting. Well, the problem is, is it's, uh, to use a phrase that one of my elementary uh, school teachers used to say, it's really discombobulated. Yeah. Discombobulated. Like it's, got, <laughs> it's got a lot of different ideas going on um, to the point where none of them really makes sense and the screenplay is not cohesive at all. Um, you have a lot of like calls to like religion and like, then you have a lot of calls to like Nazism and fascism and like these kids, it's really just all over the place with like, what were they setting? Like, what were they set out to make? Because you show me skateball in the first act it better come back in the third act. And guess what? It don't. Uh, yeah. It starts off and then it's just so disjointed. You know, that, like uh, Brad had the opening monologue. You're expecting this, you know, dark dystopian future or something crazy to start the film. And yeah, 10 minutes later, you're going, what the hell? What the hell did I just watch? Yeah. And I don't know the purpose of anything. Like if you're, if you're going to set up your world and you do some world building, this entire culture is built on skateball. And it's not very interesting. I don't know what the purpose is. I don't know if playing skateball turns you into a Nazi. I I think it does based on that's all they do. And there's the whole sequence that they have skate time. So recreational skate time is them skating in a circle in this big warehouse while they're showing police brutality videos in the background. (laughs) Um, And then you have your sub main bad guy. And I don't even know the actor's name. He's just the blonde mullet guy gets all rapish with uh, Jamie Gertz and then Jason comes up and starts fighting with him. And so you get this fight montage 
with Jason and, and the blonde mullet while they intercut police brutality going on. So very timely. It's it plays very well in 2020. I guess, but again, I don't know what the purpose is. Every, every scene in this film, I was left with what is the purpose of that? What is going on? Why are they doing what they're doing? Because I can't figure it out. I don't know what the purpose of the orphanage is because they well, have classroom scenes when they're studying stuff, but then. I mean, are they studying how to be they're, better roller skaters? No, they're they're being indoctrinated to become a part of the protectorate. So the system. But why roller skates? I don't know, especially because it is the wasteland and it is desert. But is is yeah. the protectorate and system built? I mean, like you can't do a job because everybody's roller skating. So meaning you're working in an office and, and maybe you're not out there beating people up with your baton, but you're just the guy that is moving, you know, things from point A to point B in the office. Do you do it on roller skates? Why roller skates? Are you trying to say that maybe some people were just following orders, Troy? And it's okay because they were just following orders? Yeah, but who thought, <laughs> let's create a prison orphanage around the concept of roller skating. Because even when they show sequences out in the yard, it's it's just kids roller skating back and forth in these little patches. That's all they do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was waiting for like, and I knew this wasn't going to happen because obviously I've seen this before, but like the Scholar babies are a team and the scorpions are a team. Are there multiple other teams? No, there's like, only two. Do they have some sort of like, like March madness bracket style <laughs> contest where like maybe the winner gets to go home or something like that. I don't like, think so. I think the warden yeah, has like his where, team. Where are the babies. sharks? Where are the sharks? Where are, you know, you know, where's the, the, the tri delts. Um, I, you know, man, like, so you it's you asked, is it competently directed just based on the first 30 or 40 minutes of all this crap like, going on? None of it like there's some pretty what there's some what, pretty I, what, what? I was, what, what I was trying to say is like nothing about the direction is impressive or stands out as like, oh, that's a cool shot. But nothing is like, oh, like it was completely wrong. I don't know. Like. Nothing stood out as being so bad that it was like, oh, this guy has no idea what he's doing. Like, I thought it was just competent. And maybe that's bad in itself because it's kind of bland and nothing like stood out. But I don't know, Troy. Yeah. It, it didn't seem like it was... For a guy who's only directed two movies, I was like, oh, it, it didn't seem like it was that bad. No, yeah, but you know, Mel Brooks, you know, you figured he has all this money invested in this. His repertoire, you know, you thought he would have come down and said, you know, what are you guys doing? That's not, no. You do this, you do this, you do this, and this is how it goes, and you'll have a better movie, okay? But Wow, you're, Mel Brooks was... That's spot on, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mel great, Brooks great joined the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but, but didn't anybody read the script? But see, that's what I'm wondering, too. Like you said, if there, is there was there a documentary? I, I doubt it. Some probably burned it, but I'm kind of wondering the sequence of shots, how it was really shot and then how it was finally put together because it's so disjointed. I mean, there are, there are hard jump points in the movie. You know, you have the opening monologue and all of a sudden, what's the skinny kid doing? And oh my God, now they're playing. What the Getting hell electrocuted. Playing? Yeah. The skinny yeah. kid almost gets electrocuted. Before, like, oh, almost after he's bitten by a huge ass spider. Um, yeah. You know, and then they're playing skates and then, they're at this big ass thing called the orphanage and then there's a roller derby. What the hell is going on here? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, 
competently directed. That that's such an issue. I'm wondering if there's a three hour cut of this film and it makes sense and somebody just got into I, an it. There's room. gotta be this like Snyder cut esque like <laughs> four hour. God, you I, know. I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but like you can tell, there's just so many threads that don't go anywhere or are all of a sudden just dropped. Like skateball. You open with skateball and it literally never comes back. No. Oh, but you, so you bring up, you know, the Snyder cut. So that's an interesting film because you have one person who starts with a vision and says, Hey, we're going to make this type of film. Something happens. He has to leave. Another director, Joss Whedon comes in and creates an entirely different vision. And it, it does feel disjointed. That theatrical version does feel joint, disjointed. But from all you read about this film, it started with the same director. It started with the same cast, the same screenplay, etc. How could there be no drama like the whole Snyder Whedon thing go on, and you still get this type of film? That that is so amazing to me. Meaning somebody had to sit down. Five million dollars is a lot of money, even today, and go. I read yeah, someone has to sign off on this script and yeah. say, yep. "Yep." And I wonder if it's one of those. Oh, dude this this guy wrote the Wild Bunch. <laughs> he's got this amazing post-apocalyptic yes five million well, here you go so someone's like hey have you seen mad max what if we made mad max but like for kids i guess um and i mean they literally go to tire town yeah, yeah, oh, tire oh, town, yeah. don't worry we're, <laughs> we're gonna get to tire town just you wait tire town's where i lost my shit okay okay <laughs> um but before we get there we get a couple of different sequences. The first one is I, I would label it um, playtime with with Bodhi. 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 Okay. Bodhi. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So in an, an incredibly, I don't know what you would call it, montage of the kids throwing the the sphere around. Um, rabbit doing some breakdance moves. Every- Dude, that was so painful. You're like, uh. okay, here's our black guy. Let's have him do the one thing that we know that black people can really do well is let's have him dance. And you're just like, and beatbox. And you're like, yeah. it's bad enough that like he's literally the one black guy in the whole movie. But now we're just going to like pigeonhole him to be the breakdancing, beatboxing black guy. And you're like, yeah. yeah and, it, and it's the year 41. I didn't know they had um, breakdancing and beatboxing still then. Jeez, it was, it was well, so I, god awful. It's that little sequence there. And then they all start glowing. Um, which I assume is from the radiation from the ball, but even though they test it for radiation, I, that, that radiation counter was broke because I don't care if the nerd put it together. It if you're glowing after messing around with something like that, that's radiation poisoning. You're now you're now sterile. Congratulations. Yes. So there's no reproduction going on within the solar babies. That's why there's no solar babies too. Yes. Uh, the sperm's dead. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing that was, uh, oh, my notes are as disjointed as this film. So (laughs) I think you brought this up, John. Um, it, it felt like outside of our nerd, James LaGrosse, who builds faulty radiation detectors, he carries a lot of paper around with him. Oh yeah. Dude, who has, who has six pieces of perfectly square pieces of paper in their pocket for voting per whatever. He had a stack. Yeah. Oh. They must have a lot of secret votes in the in that was year. He, I don't know. Is maybe he likes 
like really into smoking weed in year forty one. Oh, yeah, and like those are just rolling papers. Those are just papers. Also good. For- so here's what I don't get: <laughs> to vote on things, solar babies use paper, but the proletariat is that what they're called or the system or protectorate protectorate sorry don't know got got some russian literature thrown in there the protectorate and the system if they want to communicate like written words they put it on metal plates who the hell thought in the future that metal plates would be how we would pass information back to each other not something electronic not in I mean, Jamie Gertz has a book that we, I guess we can assume that is come from our time and it's like treated as like a, a relic from our time. So maybe, I don't know, Troy, we all know that metal is more efficient to write on. Yeah. It's oh, just it, of course. And to carry around with you and yeah. to post metal yeah. plates everywhere. If, if you have tire town and all these other like post-apocalyptic towns that are out there. I mean, is that what they make in the orphanage? Is I mean, it's sort of like a license plate. <laughs> yeah, it's like license plates. <laughs> and really, you know, you skate and you make metal plates of information that you have to distribute because we're not using paper. Like that's their thing. What is so like so the wanted signs for all the all the kids and stuff is basically metal these plates. Metal plates. Yeah. So okay. And they're they're yeah. reading off like who the people because the solar babies voted and escaped. And they're going through their dossier and it's metal plate dossiers, which make no sense. Um, and they they reference, I think it's the the Grok, the bad guy says, uh, or the warden, I can't remember who, but calls um, them seven little doochkies. 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 Yes. What the hell is a doochki? I don't know. It, it's like... Um... If they were trying to maybe, relate to maybe kids, it was supposed to say douche, but you know someone spelled it wrong and yeah, he read it off the teleprompter wrong or something. Yeah, yeah I, I, but, uh, yeah. I, is it a Polish slang? Um, maybe I I tried to Google it and now granted didn't read the screenplay, only going off of the audible. But every time I put something in to find out what a duchki is, I, I came up blank. Couldn't couldn't find it. Couldn't find what it was supposed to mean. Maybe it's just one of the words that we created after, you know, 30, year 30, because this is what, year 41? Year 41. Okay. And then John had to point this out because I was totally lost on this halfway. Well, I don't even know if we're halfway during the film. You know, for a 94-minute movie, the first first 30 minutes feel like three hours. Um, Was the mullet guy wearing a hex bolt as an earring? Yes. (laughs) Yes, he wears a bolt for an earring. And I was like, that is a choice. He's uh, nuts. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Boy, he is trying to put his fingers in Jamie Gertz this entire movie. And it made oh me really gosh. uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, dude, can we please be less rapey? Yeah. Please. <laughs> what do you say? I like to parlay. Yeah. Like. <laughs> no. Dude, she's trying to dig a hole. Leave her alone. Yeah. yeah. So. We get to a typical 80s skate montage in the desert because they escaped. And again, the method of transportation in the desert is roller skates. Yes. But what the protectorate has really done to help them is pave some roads. Yeah. And put flashlights on their skates. Yeah. Yes. And one of the things that happens when you skate 
dusk gets on roads is you leave tracks. Every time they're skating, I'm like, you're leaving tracks of where you're going. You're six kids traveling together, or five at the time. How were they not caught hard after fi- two hours? As soon as they discovered him, because they the the proleti- protectorate the protectorate, protectorate <laughs> had motorcycles Jesus. and dune buggies, and they're on skates, and yet they were always ahead of the dune. Bu- I mean, anyways. So the skate did montage. the car did the cars like the little buggies? Did they not look kind of piggish in a way? Did anyone else kind of get like there's the, like the little piggish. snout at the beginning? Uh, I thought they were more like armadillo like. Armadillos. Oh, yeah, okay, you know? whatever. But yeah, it, it was kind of because they call them e pigs. I'm like, actually, yeah. it's kind of funny too. A, because you know they're pigs like cops, but also like the the thing has like a snout on yeah. it. It kind of does look like a pig. So I was kind of waiting for the boss uh, boss hog, which is like pig snout snarl when they hit the horn. Which you know when you start thinking about the budget and stuff, like they made these buggy. Like some of this stuff is expensive well like, yeah those cars actually go and then they have motorcycles that are it's a like, it's a unique motorcycle design with two guys laying on the side and one guy in yeah. the middle i mean yeah those are practical yeah i mean this is 86 so they made they them. made so them. you know these are expensive but listen seriously we got to talk about this 80s montage that happens with them escaping because you get what i think is probably i'm gonna i'm gonna go on the record here and say in the 80s i know it is not like the best decade ever of music, but I I grew up on it and I like it, but I have to say the worst song ever, ever, ever in a film, ever, ever in a film (laughs) is in this film. And it's during the skate montage in the desert when they're, when they're escaping. And the song is called love will set you free. Now this blew my mind, blew my mind when you're watching the credits and find out that it is written and performed. Don't say it. By Smokey Robinson. Oh, he said it. Smokey freaking <laughs> Robinson made the song Love Will Set You Free. It is the worst freaking song. So as I'm listening to this Is he song, lying, Troy? What? Is he lying? Is he lying? Whoa, whoa, whoa hold Love on. Will Set You Free? <laughs> so I'm I'm suffering through this song and I'm I'm ready to just wish that I was Lucas Haas deafness at the beginning of the film. <laughs> I, I wished it on myself and I'm sitting there thinking this is quite honestly the worst thing. So then you're reading about how the hell did Smokey Robinson get attached to this thing? And then you find out that the song is about Jesus offering an invitation for Christian discipleship with direct quotes from Jesus sermons in the Bible. And so now I immediately feel guilty for hating yeah, this hate song God. so much because yeah. I apparently, going to hell. um, yeah, and I'm sorry, Jesus, for hating your crappy 80s Smokey Robinson song. I actually think your song's pretty rad. But, oh, my God, that thing, it's horrible. It, yeah. Again, like, there's a lot of religion stuff in this movie. Oh, like whole The lot. Bodai tree, like, I, I, it's on her hand. Bodai itself is, like, Buddhist, I think. Was this secretly um, funded by, like, the people who were... I don't know. Do they do they still have a bunch of the Christian bookstores, or the people that <laughs> take movies and then they edit them out for for their version, where they take all the bad stuff out and you just get like instead of an hour and a half movie, you get an hour movie with all the bad words. And I mean, did these people create this film back in the '80s and it was sort of their first experiment on it and rope Maybe, Smokey yeah. Robinson in to do sure. the crappiest <laughs> song ever if, of the '80s? If that if that helps, Troy. 
<laughs> oh my god. Um, okay, continue. Then you get to, and you have a choreographer directing the film. Should have some competency on a big action sequence like I don't know skating to jump over a bridge that's like fifty or hundred feet wide. I don't know. Oh. Um, the map. Let's talk about phys. Let's talk about physics. Yeah, can you explain it? So, John, you're my science guy because every time I raise my hand during this film, you would explain something <laughs> to me. So, could you please explain how you, me, Brad, were skating in the desert? We come to a bridge, and there's like a 50 foot gap between one side and the other, and you know it's 3,000 feet down. I don't know. Um, but how are we going to get across that? It actually down? wasn't that far down. Like that car did not fall. That motorcycle did not fall very far. According like to the map feet. painting that they showed, it was like 3000 <laughs> yeah. feet. Now, the actual motorcycle maybe only went down 12 before it exploded for whatever reason. But Those John, map paintings were not cheap. Mr. Science, John, I think that's your new title now. Oh, um, how, how do we get across this bridge? Mr. Science. Well, according to the director and the action coordinator, um, you just lock hands. Yes. I'm and with you. you go round and round and you spin your girl around and that's antripodal force. You just sling your partner over the bridge. Sling him over the bridge. <sighs> On skates. Now, like I said, real life, the minute you hit a pebble, you're 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 you got you got skid marks on your face. It's just oh terrible. And and, and even how it's edited. When you're leaving one side of the bridge to get to the other, it it is so amateurish. I, I mean, if here's a sequence that I would go, ooh, is it really this competently directed? This is bad. This is bad. This yeah. is this the, is not competence no, um, I, on display here in terms of directing or editing. No, and the and the most painful part of that sequence is when JC Patrick is all by himself. You watch him skate away, you know, to get that distance to get the you know momentum going and you see just how god awful he skates yeah, he can't skate it's really he can't skate. skate it's oh my gosh he's like <laughs> always about to fall you're like oh you know they gave him like two weeks to learn how to skate and he was like i don't know if i can do this I'm like oh no you'll be fine <laughs> we're not gonna you know there's gonna be more people you're gonna blend in you're all you know it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine and then he gets to this scene and they're like okay we need you to skate up this hill and come back down he's like go down the hill i don't know if i can do that i might fall i blame yeah. alberto sans the skate instructor if they'd just given him a little bit more time with jason we wouldn't have this issue and you know at this point you're what 45 minutes maybe an hour into the film and you're not an hour because i know no. exactly when the hour <laughs> yeah. is okay the hour not is even when an they hour all of this the stuff hour is... we just talked about, you're not even at an hour. No. You get to explain to me what a Chikani is. They're like a native person. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know. They're a native person. Yeah. So what do you want? they're a band of mystic John Stamos. They're nomads. They're, they're not mystic. They're, 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 they're nomads. Nomads. Who yeah. live in an abandoned wax museum? Uh, amusement park. Yeah. Sorry, amusement park slash wax museum. Um, and where their leader sits inside of the maximum overdrive head, and yeah, 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 yeah. True. Um, and I I thought was interesting was the mystic leader who's giving his speech about um, Bodai. 
grabs like some wolfman's hand and is sitting there scratching himself with it as he's giving his monologue. His face, yeah. listeners, his face, not himself. So, so, so. Oh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> his face. Good point, yeah. John. Stop. Stop. Yeah, we, they can't see you, but we can't. Um, what is Darstar's goal in stealing Bodai? I don't. Maybe he was going to trade it for a better journey jacket. Um <laughs> He, because he, said he takes it, it to the Chikani people, yeah, and that guy immediately is like, "Oh, I'm going to sell this. Right, I'm going to sell it. Let's get money." I'm like, "Ah, that doesn't seem like that's very nomadic or very like native. Like all of a sudden, like your capitalistic, um, you know, genetics come out, and you're just like, no money. Now, is this is this where they introduce the term sphere of longinus? Yes." Okay, what is that? Um, no, that's in the uh, lab. Or maybe not. Lab scene. The lab scene. Oh, yes, yes. Is that when they're torturing people? Yeah. Yeah, they, Yeah, that's when they, you know, he makes it to the Chikani tribe, and then they come, they find the Chikani tribe, and then they take the one dude and torture him, and then he talks to Ursa, is like, oh, how about the sphere of Longinus, baby? And yeah, which yeah. I had to turn to John. I'm like, what's that? I, what are they talking about? I, did, I had no idea what that was. And John, Mr. Science Man, had to explain to me that the sphere of Longinus is is Bodai. And so now we've we've I've got two names to remember. Sphere of Longinus and Bodai are the same thing. It's the same glowy radioactive thing. And we get that torture sequence, which they steal from Dune, the hand in the box. Yep. So they I, I swear they just took the same footage and superimposed it here. And we get to what, for me, was the most frustrating part of the film. <laughs> Hands down, just threw me for a loop, Tire Town. Um, oh, you mean Thunderdome? I mean Tire Town. <laughs> Thunderdome, I understood Thunderdome. I, I, you don't spend a lot of time in Thunderdome, but you get what Tina Turner was doing with, was it Pigtown? Pigtown, yep. Yep, all of that. I, I got it. Uh, and, and I didn't need the whole two hours. It, it was definitely explained. Um, but Tire Town, I mean, we we should have called it Bondage Town. Um, or re- Fetishville. 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 Maybe Rejects of Rocky Horror Picture Show, Cast Town, whatever it is. <laughs> but here are my questions. And I asked um, John these. He, he has an answer, but I got to ask you, Brad. Um, what is Tire Town making? So sludge, sludge. Okay, um, they are they're burning tires, which is terrible and would not be good. Well, so um, I I did discover that burning tires is actually not a bad thing if it's mixed with coal and other fuels, um, such as wood or even chemical waste, because they do burn tires. Um, in concrete kilns, power plants, or paper mills, right? But none of this appears to be the purpose of burning no, the tires in Tire Town. Uh, so, actually, so Troy, hold on. You kind of stole my thunder. Okay. We were going to play the How Does This Connect to Pulp Fiction game? And Tire Town connects was, to Pulp Fiction? Uh, the, the Gimp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, okay, continue. You stole my thunder. The Gimp. The gimp um, comes from Tire Town. That's where he came from. Okay, so they're burning a bunch of tires and creating the the sludge, the black liquid. What are they doing with it? 
Hmm. That I don't know. Okay. It just... Where are they getting all the tires? I don't know, because does Jamie Gertz, or does Tara not say that there's nothing around the prison for 100 miles? Yeah. Well, there's Tire Town, and there's the Wax Museum. But they get to Tire Town, and they find the Jakarta pretty easily. Yes. So... I think she was. She might have been wrong. I think this screenplay might have been wrong. Could be, but I don't know. Stick with me on tire gonna, time. Stick with me. So, okay. where, where are they getting all the tires? Um, do the tires have a value, and are they treated like currency in this world? I, I couldn't figure that out. Um, like, can I trade two tires and get an ox from someone? I, I think. I don't know. And then is it a barter system? What happens when they burn all of the tires? Do they have? I, I mean, it. If it's a commodity, I don't know if people are bringing tires into Tire Town. That that's what makes sense to me. Once they burn them, I don't know what they do with them. And then, um, why did Mystic John Stamos, who left the Chicani Wax Museum, um, decide to stop running and get a job at Tire Town? And um, with only working there for a day, let's say he he was actually there for a day, maybe two. We'll say two tops, right? Because you got a roller skate or whatever from. Chikani Wax Museum to Tire Town. Two days, right? He's working. Um, how could he afford renting the back of a Brink security truck <laughs> and live there? Which then makes me wonder, like, what does rent go typically in Tire Town for that much space? Now, it was not furnished. So, there, you know, wasn't a bathroom or, you know, paintings or anything in the back of that truck. But, and then lastly, why, what, why, why did Tire Town blow up so easily? Um, I didn't think tires were explosive in nature um but and you had to burn them to get the liquid but yet at some point tire town just blows up totally after they get into tires to escape rolling down a hill i I think what you're trying to say is maybe the screenplay doesn't really explain things very well is is that what you're trying to get at? well john let's mr science man why why are they burning tires why this is what i had to listen to (laughs) after because I had serious questions about Tire Town. John thinks he has it figured out. Whoa. Yeah. They, the tires well, they f- were a fuel source for distilling water. You have this heat that superheats the air. They pump that air through cooler pipes. The air then condenses and you create water from the air. And if you go back and listen to the movie, and I told you this, Troy, Go back and watch that specific scene. They specifically state the word distillery. There you go. Whoa, Troy, you got put in your place. It did. Because <laughs> at no point in time did I hear the word distillery because I was so in awe and trying to figure out why we're burning <laughs> tires with black sludge. You didn't ask the most important question, Troy. Why the hell are these people and knockoff Adolf Hitler wearing so much leather in the goddamn desert. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I, I mean, can you imagine I what, assume that was the appropriate work like, attire for tire town and in the rationing water, those taints smell terrible. <laughs> Troy. Can you imagine what people smell like Wolf. in the year 41? I don't oh, know. I, it, it can't be all that bad. I mean, if you think about it, Mr. What? John Stamos hits tire town within two days, he's, he's making enough bank water tires whatever the currency is to get the back of a brink security truck with full lock it has security so it's locked up and everything so it's one of the best places that you could find there um so it can't be all that bad of a place to live i mean obviously the leather i'm sure you have to wear leather to work with all the burning 
hot tires that you're next to. I mean, that that wouldn't that wouldn't burn your skin, right? If it got too hot. No, dude, I don't know. I've never burned a tire before. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm either. not a hobo. <laughs> um, yeah, tire town. And then when it explodes, you get the introduction of bounty hunters now, which what threw me off is one of the bounty hunters. Um, I, I couldn't place like I, I it was the fat balding guy, the, the mouthy one. And then it hit me. He was in the TV show, The Young Ones from the 80s. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, no one saw that, Troy. Everybody saw that. That was like one of the early shows on MTV, yeah. man. And it's absolutely, if you haven't ever watched that show, you need to watch The Young Ones. It's it's brilliant. Okay. Um, and it's, Okay, why the, do they have Australian the... accents? So so Australian accents, like the year 41, we still have Australian accents? I think <laughs> I think he's English. What? I think they're, well, I don't know. He's obviously supposed to be Aussie in a way. Like yeah. he's, He might as well just say, that's not a knife, this is a knife. Okay, but I think that line was taken by another film, <laughs> so they couldn't use it. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. Maybe he should have said that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, he was literally spewing out shrimp on the Barbie, Troy. I don't know how you don't think he's not Australian. I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think he's not, because I just, every time I see that face, I'm like, oh, the young ones. That totally distracted me. But th- it pulled me out of my fascination with trying to figure out what the hell was going on in tire town because you saw that guy forgot about tire town i was like oh i want to go watch the young ones now so the when when is the hour mark brad at what point is the hour when tara shows back up as the woman in white the eco so now we have eco she's an eco warrior which she discovers her dad's alive right yes he's not only head eco warrior so okay okay they don't know who their parents are. Her parents were literally like three miles away. Yeah. Like Tire Town was not that far. It was two days on roller skates in the desert. So he was always within arm's length. So how long can you get roller skating in a desert for two days? You think it's like three miles? <sighs> okay, so maybe it's ten. Well, maybe I don't know. Five I'm, miles I'm not, a day. I'm just asking. It seems like it would be better to walk than roller skate in the desert you would get farther walking like roller skating like if you in two days you could walk and get x amount of miles half that they should have had the scene from space balls where they comb the desert (laughs) well they had the token black that would have been so awesome they could have if 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 space balls came down it was like comb the desert um we ain't found shit shit. (laughs) (laughs) so you, f- you find that the guy who's leading the eco warriors is the Dollar Tree version of Charlton Heston, who happens God, to be oh bless the, uh, the father of um, this guy is a an acoustic a, a guitar away from just being the most annoying person in the world. Oh God, yeah. Like, all right, we're going to sing Kumbaya around this campfire. Yeah. I was oh waiting for the Ten Commandments speech personally with oh, this whole oh, get up. Um, yeah. Apocalypse Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and so... They've, they discover their radioactive orb has been taken to an aqua bunker, and, and now you get the big climax. Okay, well, hold on, Troy. Hold on. I, I'm... The eco-warriors have a spring that is being um, provided by a glacier that was melted by a volcano. Right. That's scientifically accurate. Which, I don't know if that's accurate. Mm. Science man. No. Accurate? That, no. 
No, not not at all. Oh, no. Not at all. No, no, no. I'm so sorry. How could they, but again, how could they sure. town right with the distillery <laughs> thing that you just brought up, but they get this wrong. Uh, have you ever stuck an ice cube outside on the sidewalk in a hot summer day? Yeah, it evaporates like <laughs> yeah. within seconds. <laughs> this thing was rock solid. Nothing. It's oh my gosh. Uh, so they they might be a little bit wonky on some of their science knowledge within the screenplay the screenplay might have been a little sloppy is what we're trying to say i think yeah. yes. i think maybe just in a few spots here. and you can't I, blame I the internet for giving them false information because it really wasn't around in 86 to kind of go well how does this work right yeah so somebody told them in spain this is how it works yeah okay they, they, get, they get big convex well yeah big action set piece coming up you, here here are your plans to the aqua bunker that's written on some deer hide which why they were carrying around paper earlier, and then they everybody else is using metal pla- metal plates. But the eco warriors are are killing deer, and then writing plans to. Don't forget, some people are doing cave paintings. Wow. And you you get to the so listen. If you're in the 80s and you're gonna have a big action sequence, what do you need? Like, what sets your movie apart? A kick-ass song. Not no. You need <laughs> explosions. Need, no, you don't need explosions. <laughs> it's, it's that that's no, that's boring. If you're going to make an amazing '80s action climax, you need Dobermans. Oh god, you need Dobermans <laughs> okay. in your film, right? Now, okay, Dobermans with flashlights Dude, on their make head. A- yes, Dobermans with flashlights on their heads because they can't wear roller skates, so you got to put the flashlight yeah. on their head. <laughs> Dude, if they had Dobermans on, on roller skates, that would have been the best thing ever. I would have not. <laughs> the dogs had to roller skate too. I, to me, God, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say about that climax. Um, pole vault. It doesn't really pay off. Pole vaulting with roller skates that just magically disappear as you're going over the fence, <laughs> yes. but then appear as you. Land. Oh yeah, he was wearing the early prototype of the what were they called wheelies? Oh yeah, the wheelies. Yeah, yeah Troy, they were wheelies. Okay, and. Jeez. Yeah, and so they <laughs> they take on an entire army of prolet pro, proleta- protectorates. <laughs> protectorates. <laughs> Jesus H Christ. <laughs> Excuse me. No, no, no. He's back with a bar. He's back with a glacier. Um, with machine guns, and they've got their uh, lacrosse sticks, and they beat everybody up. Um, take back the radioactive ball. Radioactive ball dissolves. Um dam opens up all the water comes out again um some more it starts throwing money on strippers because it's making it rain uh, yes <laughs> no that's, that's, that's a terrible job um, I'm, I'm leaving we we get that releasing water from the dam instantly creates rain clouds and now the entire earth is raining uh because they release the water which is mr science man that's scientifically accurate correct in a controlled environment yes is, is the earth a controlled environment <laughs> no and that and that no it was just about as believable and uh what was it total recall you stick a stick a hot metal rod in some ice and all of a sudden boom mars has an atmosphere no so yes it's accurate okay um and your movie ends and they're all swimming which dar um, star is a part of the solar babies and jason Terra kissing finally but they're radio so, you forgot that they're they're radioactive because they're all glowing oh yeah so, is Daniel not related to Tara? I kept thinking that he was just her little brother, but he's not. He's just a kid. He's just a I kid. think they're all so just they, orphans. Yeah, why do they care about that little kid so much? Like, well, he was deaf. 
I don't care. So I gotta like you because you're deaf. <laughs> well, he's Lucas Haas deaf. Well, yeah, that's a different kind of deaf. Maybe if I need him to help me like incept somebody, maybe. But he was an in inception, right? Or that's not gonna play. He was an in inception. Yeah, yes. he was an in inception. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> I. Whew. Yeah. If, okay. I one of the things I have. Yeah. Too little, too late with the Sarah Douglas. <laughs> too little, too late. She should have been the big bad. Yeah. You think so? Like, yeah. Was she like his superior? No, I thought she and was just wh- like his. So why his is she even in the movie? Person. Why is she even in the movie? Well, <clears throat> she should have had a bigger part. You do get a robot at the end, which makes <laughs> sense, right? And here's the other thing that kind of threw me off is she gives a big speech about how the robot is so awesome and he can do all these things and break things, whatever. And they program the robot, the robot, the robot, <laughs> they program the, the robot to enjoy this, which why, why would you program the robot to enjoy it? What purpose do you get by adding that type of programming? I don't understand. I'm perplexed. This movie, per- if you had told me that where you would start in the first 30 minutes, if you just showed me the first 30 minutes and then like the last 15 minutes of the film, I could not have told you or even guessed correctly how you would have got from the first 30 minutes to the to the last 15. There, Troy, I would have been not so about, wrong. It's not about the destination, Troy. It's about the journey. This movie takes you on a yeah. journey. It's about that ride. It was <laughs> a ride I never ever want to go on again and you know whoever thought like if you're dreaming up apocalyptic scenarios and movies i mean whoever thought that yep roller skates would be how we would be getting around and on top of that um we would just stop using paper altogether and just do license except when you're voting Except in your voting. Oh yeah, secret votes. You would use paper. You think Donald Trump would call that one fraudulent too? Or well, probably. You did see Motron change his vote, so he did. Oh, he does. Oh, Motron. He's a fraudster. Fraud. I, Stop the count. Yeah, Metron. Stop the count. I don't know what what to blame on this film in terms of its total ineptitude. I do want to say. It might not be the directing because there's dude. It's the script. One hundred and twenty percent. I think it's the script and the editing. The, OK. The, yeah. The editing, the, the putting the stuff together that the person filmed just doesn't exactly make sense. Um, but when you start like okay, so your script is your starting point. Yeah. If that is bad, it really doesn't matter what it comes after that. It's. So the, if you're starting with bad ingredients, your cake's going to taste like shit. Okay. Yeah. But doesn't the director take the script and say, you know what? I, I see what you did here, but let me tell you what my vision is going to be. Yeah. But this was this guy's second movie. And the first movie he did was starred Mel Brooks. So I'm sure Mel Brooks probably directed 75% of that movie. Yeah, that's fair. That's true. That's fair. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to think like you say it starts with the script, but we got, we talked about Miami Connection. We talked about Samurai Cop. Those two in particular. I can't even imagine what was, what script was created for those two films. And yet you end up with a movie that is actually enjoyable to watch because of the script, the direction, the editing, even the performances. <clears throat> this one, 
it it's so weird. It makes I think the cardinal sin of being and folks, here's the thing. I, I don't all five of you that are probably listening to this, you may hear us talk about this film and go, that sounds crazy. Roller skating in the desert, apocalypse, Chicani, um, Tire Town, all this other stuff, and pole vaulting Nazis. With, yeah, Nazis, <laughs> Nazis are Dobermans fun. with flashlights, and it sounds like so ridiculous, and you want to sit down and watch it. It is probably the most boring film I have seen in a long time. Yeah, it's like I told you, I, I, it's so bad you can't laugh at the movie itself. I was laughing at your reaction because I knew, like you, you said, you had never seen it. So I'm like truly curious what a first time a solar baby virgin, um, how they would react, <laughs> and you did not fail to deliver. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. It's truly terrible. <laughs> it is, and and I, I do think. Now that you sit down and process it, the directing is not very good it, because there's nothing interesting about it. There's no, no composition. Um, there's no flourish in the image. The script obviously is horrible. What do you guys think about the performances? Because Mel Brooks, he he says that there's things to like within this film. Oh, God. And one of the things he talks about is the perform like the the actors that are in it. I mean, even Jamie Gertz is not that great. Yeah. Like she's a little whiny and. I don't know, but again, she's really not given a whole lot to work with. No, Jason Patrick. I usually think like he's really good. He's god awful in this one. He is bad, and I think he was more worried about falling over skating (laughs) than anything. Um, You know, again, token black guy. They just kind of be like, you know, you're gonna say a few things, but we're just you're really just gonna be here to dance and beatbox. It's like, yeah, which (laughs) is again super offensive. So I. I will say the one going back, the one part I think actually is pretty good is the torture sequence with the guys with from Dune? bullets when he does that, when he <laughs> does Dune? his hand, I think, the, I think it looks okay. From yeah. Dune. yeah. It looked good in yeah. Dune too. Yeah, I know. I know, but it looks good in this movie too. Well, it's cause they use the same footage from Dune in this. Oh movie. gosh. <laughs> you know, it's I, God. I want to see that new Dune remake so bad. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, you know, let's talk about that for a little. Well, bit. No, no, no. We we got to talk about. We got to go back to Tire Town because. <laughs> oh yeah, do we, do we have to? Please explain more about um, how Tire Town works. <laughs> Jamie Gertz's hair. Oh my god. Um, it's like you know. Is that not straight up something about Mary? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Troy, didn't I tell you? <laughs> Yes, that was our first reaction when she comes out of the Brink security truck and it's standing straight up. Yeah. I think John's John's first statement was she's using the same hair gel from something yep. about Mary. Yeah, yeah Ben Stiller hair yeah. product using that probably using stole. that using that spruce. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I it's it's crazy, especially when you spend an entire month talking about all these turkeys. And I, I'm always fascinating. What is the difference between something that is so bad that it's bad versus so so bad that it's good? And you would expect somebody like Richard Jordan or, or to your point, Sarah Douglas, even the stuff that they're given, it's not over the top. They they play it very, I, I don't know, without life. They're, I want to see somebody chew some scenery. Yeah, like, not, just chew it up. Yeah, there, there was nothing. Yeah, I think at all. I think Brad called it. You know, if if she was, you know, the head protectorate person and you know grok was was her underling i think it, it, it you know, seen a better dynamic on that way because they were they're 
honestly, they were solid in what they were supposed to deliver. Um, everything else outside of that, it was just what, what, what? And I think one of the things I, that stood out to me this time when I watched this movie is there is not a single original idea in this movie or a good idea. Like sometimes you can see, oh, this movie, if they did some things differently, would be a good movie. Here, I don't know what you pull out to make a good movie. Like, I've seen it done differently in other places. I've seen Mad Max. It's way better. I've seen Dune. It's way better. Um, I've seen The Goonies. It's way better. Like, these movies that it's kind of pulling from, they all do it better. And, like, this one, you're like, okay, do we lean on the skate ballpark? No, because that's a little boring because it doesn't make any sense. It's just lacrosse on skates. So, no. Do we want to do this dystopian thing where we find this magical ball and it be like, well, we don't know what to do with it. So it's gone out of the movie for three fourths of the yeah. time. So no, do we lean into the fascism a little bit? Maybe, but no, it's just like they, it, they don't do anything with any of these plot points that go anywhere. It just, I, I don't know. It's all, like I said, discombobulated and there's not a good thread anywhere. Like there's no through line from a to the end of this movie. It just, it meanders and it, it literally is a walk through the desert. This movie is a skate through the desert, skate through the desert. Yep. (laughs) Honestly, I think they should put that on the poster. Solar babies, a skate through the desert. It'll it'll move it. (laughs) Yeah. If they, if they had, if, if someone were to invest in a remake of this movie, I think the point to start is after you start with the original introduction up to where it says the year is 41. Stop there and remake the rest of the movie. Yes. But, uh, you know, I don't do an opening monologue. (laughs) How many times does that just suck? Like an opening monologue is good one out of 10 times. It's weird. Even in Blade Runner, it's not good. I don't disagree. And (laughs) I, I have no problem with the film borrowing from all other films and not having an original bone in its body. But if the director brings something different, if the editing style is different, if the performances are something memorable, I'm all for it. I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at all the films that come out today, how much actual original content is out there, even in the last 20, 30 years, not much of anything. Um, they're just variations. A lot of times the same story and the things that make movies unique is usually what's happening behind the camera, in front of the camera, in terms of either the performances or how they're choosing to shoot the film. This is just a, it's a hodgepodge of blandness that on its own, just that, I admire it because I've never seen a film with so many ideas that are out there and so many concepts that are out there deliver something that is so boring. I would commend it on that because I have never seen that before. <laughs> I've never seen any. There should be something. Tire Town, um, the big finale, uh, Mystic John Stamos. Something should stand out in this film that I would say, oh, it's horrible, but I do remember this one element. Give it a couple of weeks. I will have totally forgotten about this film. And I could totally understand you too, Brad, like seeing this at a young age and maybe trying to hunt it down. But after you see it as a grown adult and you would ask questions like, why do you burn tires? What are you doing, et cetera? Didn't pick up on the whole making water stuff. But once you digest it as an actual cognitive human being, 
I feel like your brain is 100% just going to try and push this out because you go, well, that's just junk we don't need to remember anymore. Because that's the nicest more. thing anyone ever said about me. <laughs> Cognitive human being. Thanks, Strong. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just amazed at how inept this thing is. Yeah, it's inept. And I think uh, Brad said it earlier, you know, they tried to pitch it as a more family-friendly apocalyptic film. Because uh, the one thing yeah, you, you ask, what's memorable about this movie? The skates. And I, I think when the movie came out, again, during that time in the 80s, I remember, um, you know, roller skating outside of the bike. Um, roller skating was one of the fun things to do to go out and try to skate and jump over ramp or jump off, jump off ramps, jump over things. But again, um, real life will always tell you if your roller skate hits the tiniest of pebble, you're 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 going face first. Did you ever slingshot, John? Did you try it? Oh, uh, yeah. Heli- I think it's a helicopter. Yeah, the helicopter. Say. And uh, yeah, it, it, it doesn't work. Oh, yeah. okay. It, it looks hard. No. Um, well, what else to talk about uh, with solar babies or solar fighters? And any other shreds of wisdom? Yeah, I, I want to... Some of the uh, slang terms they use in this movie, I, I wrote some down. I said one at the beginning. Uh, she calls mullet guy cr- a creature of filth. Yeah. Um, good one. Not dirt. He's not dirty. He's just a creature of filth. Um, another person calls someone else dog squeeze. Dog squeeze. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think which is like you're squeezing something out of a dog's butt. Maybe. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Um, they don't call it an earthquake. They call it an earth shake, yeah. which again is one of my one of my pet peeves about future set movies is they change things that don't need to be earthquake is just fine earthquake's just fine we don't need to call an earthquake something else it's an earthquake but no because we're in the future we call them earth shakes i just think i don't know it's stupid stupid no i agree i but i i understand when they try to do stuff like that from a world building perspective and maybe it's fury road that had a little bit of its own internal language and how they created that in the script and it works for it right this one, you're absolutely right. It 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 stands out. It doesn't make any sense. They're, they've got books apparently because Jamie Gertz is reading one, so some of that language should have passed on. But it, yeah. it just yeah. it doesn't work as a world building resource for this film. It 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 stands out like a sore thumb. Yeah, like you said, the writing. Uh, uh, what was the one? Uh, we all owe to never speak of this. Who the hell says that? You know. Oh, I I say that every day. Yeah. Just, just, I don't know. Maybe he was like predicting what people's reaction should be after they see the film. We owe <laughs> never to speak of this, never to talk about it. You know, yeah. Oh, gosh, it was. Um, well, are we ready for the for the question? Yes. All right, John. I'm going to start with you. Um, you're our regular, uh, or I should say, resident science man. Um, <laughs> when when we're talking about solar babies and all of its scientific accurate depictions on how weather works, uh, how to make water, um, how uh, centrifugal force works with roller skates. <clears throat> Given everything we've talked about, what's your take on solar babies? Is is it a bomb? Um, all the data and analysis that I've just done says, oh, hell yeah, it, it's a bomb. Okay, that's fair. Brad, this was your pick, man. Um, you own two copies of the Blu-ray, which are highly <laughs> coveted and can sell at a pretty penny it uh it made its money back 
I mean, Brooks Films didn't take a loss over X amount of years, but th- this is your baby. This is your pick. What, where are you going to land on this one? Okay, Troy. One last reading, if I if I can. Go. Hey, crow brains. No birds allowed. <laughs> you got a problem, Darstar? And he says, bye-bye. And he you know, scrapes up his sign on the in the sand. He says, bye-bye, Mr. Magic. That guy's a total moon. Total moon. So, Troy, based on that reading alone, this movie is a huge bomb. Okay. <laughs> huge bomb. Um, so jo- Bye-bye, Mr. Magic. <laughs> Here's the thing. <clears throat> so, I don't know if you've ever watched any of the Italian post-apocalyptic films from the early 80s. Uh, 1990, The Bronx Warriors. That came out in 82. That was done by Enzo Castellari. Another great one, 2019, After the Fall of New York, which is sort of a remake of Escape from New York by Sergio Martino. That one came out in 83. In 83, there were there were three of them that really stick out. Warriors of the Wasteland. That was a Castellari film. And The Exterminators of the Year 300, um, which is a Giuliano Canemio film, I believe. The, Italy had a lot of fun, and I think they were making you know them in the same place that they filmed Solar Babies. And these, these films... Are total bombs. Even something like Mutants of 2051 AD, which was the fake movie that shows up in the Bob and Doug McKenzie film Strange Brew, that's a bomb. So all those Italian films in the 80s, bombs. Bob and Doug McKenzie, bomb. This is so far from a bomb, I don't even know what you would call this thing. <laughs> it, it doesn't even get to be called a bomb. It is so bad. I don't know what Rotten Tomatoes should adjust that score and allow for something <laughs> negative. It should it this should be the first negative reviewed film. And I don't know how you do that mathematically, but Mr. Science Man, please make it happen. <laughs> this thing is so terrible that whoever the seventy five year old guy is that bought a copy of this and gave it to children, that man should be arrested hey. and put in jail They've- because that is inhuman to do that to any child. And, and that child, yeah, when he moves houses, he should have to knock on people's doors and tell them he lives there. <laughs> he might give your kid a copy of Solar Baby. I agree. That man <laughs> should be on house arrest for one, should be on a different set of meds. Um, and I'm sorry, anybody, all five of you listening, if you grew up like Brad, loving Solar Babies, there's something wrong with you. There, there really is. <laughs> this movie is terrible. Watch where you're going. <laughs> no, it's terrible. It, 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 this is my new litmus test um, for people. If I were to walk to somebody in public and, you know, we're about the same age or whatever, and, you know, we talk about bad films and somebody goes, oh, I, I just love Solar Babies. At that point, I am not speaking to you anymore. Sorry. So we're, we're just got to draw a line here. Um, how they how they grabbed all those cartridges for, what is it, that E.T. Atari game and put them in the landfill and got rid of them all. <laughs> we should take all the copies, including your two Blu-ray copies of Solar Babies, Brad, and put them with those E.T. Atari 2600 cartridges. This thing is terrible. Out of my cold, dead hands, Troy. <laughs> if need be, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Oh, no, I, I can't totally come down on people who... Um, like this, there there are uh, tons of <clears throat> Jackie Chan films that I will defend that everybody looks at me and says, Tuxedo being one of them. I'll say right here that I will watch the Tuxedo and everybody thinks uh, I'm I'm an idiot for that. But uh, 
I still want my money back for around the world in 80 days. Yeah, so there's that one too, which I'll defend. So for all of you solar baby defenders out there, I get it. I understand it. But All six of us. All six of you. I, I can't. Uh, we can still be friends. I'm just saying this, this movie's terrible. It's not, it's, it's not a bomb, but it, I don't mean it by like, woohoo, go out and watch this thing. It's just there's got to be a, a word that depicts whatever is less than a bomb. Whatever the negative dog squeeze review thing. It is a <laughs> dog squeeze. The dog squeeze of a movie. It is a dog squeeze of a film. Yeah. Hey, but it's... hey, thank you, Brad. This was one of the films that I, every time I was in the video store in the 80s, 90s, and would see this and go, oh, I haven't seen it. It would always be in the sci fi section. I would look at it and look at the back of it and read what it was about and go, ooh, no, I don't, I don't want to watch that. I'm glad I finally watched it. And I will give it props that I've never seen a movie so filled to the rim with so many weird stuff be so boring. I mean, this takes the cake for that. Uh, so I, I, I do appreciate you introducing me to this. You're welcome. I appreciate it. You know what? What's kind of sad though, if I, I just I just had to look it up because um, I did remember the poster. The movie poster actually made it look interesting. So um, it, it's the start of deceptive marketing. The John Alvin yeah. one, okay. Yeah, but when you yeah. when you would flip it over on the back of the VHS and read about it, you'd be like, "Ooh, no, yeah, <laughs> don't think so." <laughs> well, um, Brad, we've we've <laughs> it's been a long road, Troy. Thank you, November, um, for the memories. If you had to rank the ones, and and John, I know you've been playing along too and watched a lot of these with me. Um, if if you had to rank the turkeys from and I don't even know how to rank this. I wouldn't, we can't rank them on the quality of the film. I guess we could rank them on what was our enjoyment, enjoyment right? Yeah. So how, how would you rank your turkeys? All right. Number one, Samurai Cop. Okay. Number two, Con Air. Okay. Number three, Miami Connection. All right. Number four, Ready to Rumble. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. Number four, Solar Babies, and number five, Ready to Rumble. Oh my god. You gosh. are a horrible person. I hate Ready to Rumble. <laughs> oh my Probably more gosh. than almost How anything. Can you Oh, I don't know if we Wow. Hey, we made it twenty five episodes. That was a <laughs> <Yeah>. good run. <laughs> John, I'm I'm gonna ask for your rankings. Like best or worse? But yeah, the ones you enjoyed the most to the ones you uh, the one, enjoyed the, the least. The ones I enjoyed the most: Miami Connection, number one, uh, Samurai Cop, um, second, um, Ready to Rumble, uh, Con Air, Solar Babies is like you said, down in the negative area. It's it's wow. <laughs> it's, mine's close. My, mine's probably a mixture of, of both of yours. So number one for me is Samurai Cop. Number two is Miami Connection. Number three is Ready to Rumble. Number four is Con Air. <laughs> and number five is Solar Babies. And that's based on pure enjoyment. Now, you, we can sit here and talk about is the last, uh, what is it, 30 minutes of Con Air better than Ready to Rumble? Yes, from a filmmaking perspective. But it's not as good as Ready to Rumble. So there you go. And Solar Babies, I mean... I, I'd put it in slot five. I, I'm curious of people who are listening. If this is something you grew up in, just do you still watch it? Do you have a VHS copy? I'm 
I'm really curious about this one. Do I, you have a Blu-ray copy? Yeah, do you have a Blu-ray? <laughs> I, I was really excited about seeing this when you just read all the things going on in it, but I'm just flabbergasted how uneventfully boring it oh, is. Oh, yeah. I won't even tell you, Brad, what he said after it was done. Um, <laughs> I just noticed in the... So I don't know why I'm doing this, because I was looking through the script for just stupid stuff. Eco Warriors is, again, capitalized. So... It's a pronoun. I just thought an eco warrior was someone like an fighting for, th- yeah. Uh, like, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I should stop reading the script because I'm getting more confused. <laughs> well, hold on, I'm just picking up on this. You have the script. Yeah. What like you you got off the internet or you have a copy of the script? No, I just got off the internet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I've got to sign. Jason Patrick signed it. I uh, saw him at a con one time. He signed it for me. You scared me there for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I put it next to my Pulp Fiction copy of uh, the script and, yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, we're leaving Turkey Month, even though this is coming out in December. And again, please don't watch any of the Christmas films that uh, we talked about in the beginning. But Brad, what are we trying to do in December? So we are going to look back. (laughs) Why we're looking back on the year 2020, I don't know why. But we are looking back on films that either got a re-release in 2020 or came out uh, theatrically or maybe even released in 2020. So anything released in 2020, or if it got a re-release in 2020, we're going to look back on the year that was. Yeah. So you have two picks and I have two picks. And and what we were discussing in a general was if it came out theatrically and was a bomb um, or, you know, there were a lot of films that were supposed to come out theatrically and maybe they came out theatrically in one country, but got released on a streaming service in another and quite honestly, this has been a pretty impressive year if you are an audiophile or videophile because the number of releases of older films that have hit things like on a 4K platform is pretty astounding. And there are companies like Criterion um, that have put out some amazing Blu-rays. Uh, Arrow has kind of dipped their toes into the 4K and have put some just fantastic that stuff out. That freaking Bruce Lee collection that criterion put out is mm, yeah so good and i mean i i just got from the uk this amazing dawn of the dead 4k oh. set that has like every version of the film plus the soundtrack so, so the the amount of does that have the remake in it as well or is it just, just the original? it's just the original but it's three okay. cuts of the original plus soundtrack plus all the special features i mean it it is the definitive version of that film obviously not a bomb but if if you were a movie collector, uh, I know COVID has really been disruptive in terms of the new content, but the amount of stuff that the studios have picked out and really created some nice box sets or specialized content this year is just impressive. So what we decided to do was kind of throw all of this stuff together and say, of the ones that got released um, in 2020, and it could be an old film or it could be a new film, what were the ones that we enjoyed that just were bombs? So it's two from you, Brad, two for me, and I get to start. So out of the gate, I am going to pick what I believe, and we'll do some research, but I think it's probably one of the biggest bombs of 2020 financially, and that is none other than Disney's Mulan. So we are going to the live live action live action yep okay we're going to talk about that one because it was supposed to have a theatrical release this summer um it did in china 
Disney decided to not release it theatrically and put it on their Disney Plus streaming service with a $30 premium over the summer. And then if you didn't want to pay the 30 bucks, you would have the chance to see it in December. So that will be the first movie that we're going to talk about in December. And so, Brad, it should be interesting because there is a lot of history behind that film, even before COVID hit and disrupted the whole distribution chain. Um, so, hey, December, we're going to talk about the best or maybe the worst of 2020. And we're going to kick it off with Mulan. I think it'll be a fun conversation. It's actually the only live action Disney film I've seen. I, I haven't seen any of the others. The Jungle Book, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Maybe maybe we'll talk about them. Don't know. I'd, I'd have to go back and watch them. But uh, that's my pick, man. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun because nothing better than uh, looking back on this great year. <laughs> <laughs> what a year, man! Uh, so, if everybody wants to, I don't know, get a hold of us and tell us what they think about our views on Solar Babies, or even give us recommendations <laughs> of what we should be talking about in 2021, and folks, I. Everything I think we're going to talk about, especially in the month of January, is probably coming from recommendations. We've had some just stellar recommendations. Yes. Um, so we're looking to expand that list with anything that you think is a bomb that needs to be brought to the light and discussed. But Brad, how would they get a hold of us? Yeah. Um, Twitter is at not a bomb pod. Instagram, not a bomb podcast. Um, Gmail, not a bomb podcast at, or, sorry, not a bomb pod at gmail.com. Um, website not a bomb podcast.com. Um, you can actually use the contact button up at the top. If you just want to write us a message there, um, suggest the film, let us know, uh, what you think of solar babies. <laughs> let us know what you think of Dave Matthews. Band. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, yeah, I really thought we were going to get some Dave Matthews band, uh, <laughs> hate mail. Or no one disagrees with us. Cause they all know he sucks. Okay. <laughs> well, suck. I mean, if that seventy-five-year-old Amazon reviewer contacts us, I, I, I oh, yeah. that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear from that guy. He's peddling solar babies to younger kids <laughs> in the neighborhood. <laughs> no, no, sir. Um, John, always a pleasure. I, I think December. Um, there's one in particular we're we're knocking around. Uh, that we we may bring you back for because I think it's in your wheelhouse. Uh, but it, it's a pleasure. I thank you for enduring Solar oh, Babies no. with me. Thank you. No, thank you for a trip down memory lane of um, a movie I watched as a kid, didn't think was bad as a kid. And now that I'm older, I hope time travel is invented so I can go back and slap myself from watching this. Uh, yeah. This, this are, are you going to share Solar Babies with your kids? Uh, I, I don't want Child Protective Services called on me. What are you kidding me? Good man. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> no, it's a, it's always a blast to be here with you guys. This is so much fun. Um, solar babies, people don't watch it. Please stay away. If Brad puts his copies on eBay, don't buy them. <laughs> I'll sign them. And somehow we spent two hours talking about solar babies. They didn't even, the script probably took less time. I would agree with you. Well, anything else, Brad? Nope. All right. Well, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or the evening. I hope your day is awesome. And as always, we're super appreciative for you downloading the podcast and listening. And with that, I hope you uh, had a fun 
talking about turkeys with us in the month of November. And um, we're looking forward to talking about some more bombs in December. So with that, have an awesome day. Bye, dogs. Bye. <laughs>